You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for just the privilege of gathering together in collective worship to be able to worship you and praise and thanksgiving and the proclamation of your word. We just ask this morning once again that your Holy Spirit would grant us the ability to not only grasp these truths, and as Jim brings forth his message, but that we'd apply these truths to our lives, that we'd honor you and glorify you through the obedience to your word and the study of your word, the reading of your word, and also, Father, to learn to intercede on behalf of other saints. We just give you praise and thanksgiving this morning and ask that you guide us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we have been looking at the opening salutation by Paul to the saints at Philippi. Now, as we had previously examined in our introduction, we realized that Epaphroditus had been sent to minister to Paul as he was in prison in Rome. He brought some provisions and a note letter from the church, and in turn, Paul was sending this letter back with Epaphroditus to the saints. So as we look at this letter, there's a mutual greeting and a bond of Christ's love for one another, and we look at this letter and we also see something unique. Paul opens, and I'll read just the first Eight verses. Paul and Timothy, bond slaves of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you 
will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Just as it is right for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. There's just a few opening verses, uh, words to these saints. And his focus is not on his service or the fact that he's an apostle. His focus is on Jesus Christ and to exhort and encourage the saints. As we look at verse 2, where we left off, I have to back up just a little bit to the last half of verse 1. So all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now, we uh, examined that there are several names used for pastors, bishops, overseers, shepherds. Those are synonymous terms in the original language, but in the New King James Version, it's translated bishops. It's the overseers that had been established there. And as I mentioned in a previous lesson, God has set up His body to govern His body and to minister to His body by having overseers, which are under-shepherds. They are responsible for the teaching and preaching of God's Word and building up and equipping of the saints. They are also to guard against heresies and false teachers. So this is some of the functions of the overseers. There were these overseers in Philippi. And so, apparently... They were at a point in maturity in which these saints could have pastors or bishops or overseers that were ministering to the saints right there in Philippi. So, Paul was rejoicing over these saints and their growth. And he used this common greeting uh, in several other letters. He used them in Romans, in First or Second Corinthians, Ephesians. And Second Thessalonians. That was a common expression of the apostle's deep love for his fellow believers. Even the immature believers in Corinth, as Cornell has been teaching through the book of Corinthians, we see that there was some elements of their immaturity that brought great cause for Paul's distress and concern. But here, he must have felt a specially deep sense of joy and gratitude because they had brought him such satisfaction, seeing their growth, seeing their love for one another, but also continuing to partake in the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. The saving eternal grace that is granted to a repentant, believing sinner is the supreme gift of God. And as we look at verse 2, Paul says, Grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about the grace, there's no peace or anything else apart from that. Because of God's eternal, everlasting grace, we have been brought to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. We've been granted grace before the foundation of the world. When God set His heart upon those whom He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that grace has been exercised by our Lord throughout history of all mankind. This salutation also expresses Paul's love and concern for the believers of Philippi, but this common greeting of using God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ repeatedly emphasizes the oneness in nature of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The common greeting of God our Father, Jesus Christ, it is the essence of the essential divine nature of Christ and the Father. Of course, the Holy Spirit gave inspiration to God's Word. So we have pictured in this epistle by the evidence of God's inspiration and the reflection of the Father and Son, the triune Godhead that we serve. The first greeting that Paul has for these Christians is grace. Now, there's the definition of God's unmerited favor that is given to this word. And there's also another one that was given, which I think is a very apropos description. God's grace is that which is unmerited favor towards man and its reflection in the life. So, when we think of God's grace imparted to us, it also should be reflecting in our lives. Grace comes before peace. Paul writes, grace and peace to you. Not peace and grace. Because apart from grace, we would not have God's peace. Grace is not only a word in Paul's greeting. The second word is peace, which was a common greeting to the Gentiles. Also among the Jewish people, because it translates the word shalom. Paul combines the two characteristics to this church, which was part Jewish and part Gentile believers. But here, it has a deeper meaning for peace. As we think of peace, peace comes from God and we have peace with God. Now, you can hold your place here and just go back, if you would, to Romans 5 and verse 1. And Paul gives a description of the other element of peace here in verse 1 of Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace 
in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, when we think the element of God's peace, it's not the peace that the world gives, the Lord said. He gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding, as we see in the fourth chapter of this little epistle. Paul now is going to express his thankfulness, even in his circumstances, uh, which I defined a little bit in the introduction. But as we think of Paul in a Roman prison, some of the scholars, some of the historical scholars uh, of that period described these prisons as dungeons. They were cold, they were damp, they were full of disease because of the dampness which promoted and and permeated diseases, but there was people in there with wounds and sickness and all kinds of diseases, and yet Paul could rejoice, even in those circumstances. This tells us something about the character and depth of relationship Paul had with Christ. Also, in this first chapter, Christ is mentioned 18 times. It's either Christ, Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. So Paul, first of all, was focused on Christ. And so his circumstances weren't even relevant to him. It wasn't that he might have been in pain or suffering. He was reflecting now on these saints from Philippi. And it brought him joy. How often do we think of other saints who have ministered to us or who we've had an opportunity to minister to and pray for them? This is a very convicting passage because if we think of this, oftentimes people will tell us of a situation and we say, oh, we'll be praying for you. Are we? Are we that deeply concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ that we remember them in prayer? The Philippian church wasn't without blemish, but the Christians that made up that group of believers were practicing and growing in their faith. They were growing believers. They were growing in the knowledge of Christ. They were growing in their love for one another. And they were presenting the gospel to the unregenerate world of Philippi. Now, as we think of the bishops and deacons, uh, There's an element there of not just teaching the flock, but of protection for the flock. Paul gave this exhortation and admonished the pastors in Acts 20. And he said this, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also from among you, Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. That's Acts 20, 28 and 29. God paid a great price for his people, the body. And Paul recognized the importance of that shepherding role. God wants his people sheltered from false teachers. And he wants false teaching to be pointed out and 
to guard the flock against that. Unfortunately, today, in an age of the post-aid modernism, we have churches, so-called churches, being planted that try to reach the felt needs of the people, the seeker-sensitive movement. They don't understand the importance of God's Word, neither do they proclaim it accurately. As we think of the Galatians uh, passage and the passage in Second Thessalonians and also Titus 3.10, God desires uh, us to come alongside those who are perhaps in a snare, in a sin. If there's any known sin or besetting sin of a brother and sister that we know of, we are called to minister to them, to help them to be delivered from that, to help them come to the conviction of that sin and to bring them to repentance. The Apostle Paul uh, wanted to express joy as well as encouragement to the Philippian believers. And yet this book, or this letter, is not a theological treatise. It does have some tremendous theological teachings and doctrines. But the letter itself is not a similar to Romans or Galatians, where Paul really illuminated the doctrines of grace and the warnings against the various heresies that were being perpetrated, the Judaizers or the various heresies are being brought forth. He was rebuking those and bringing correction and bringing sound doctrine. But in this letter, aside from some of the doctrines that are brought forth, it's a letter of encouragement and expression of his love. Paul continues this salutation in a thankful uh, attitude. And he uses the word, I thank my God in verse 3. Now this word, is interesting. It comes from the Greek word eucharisteo, which is the translates the English into the English word Eucharist. And that's often referred to when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, when believers celebrate the Lord's Supper, we want to give thanks to our Lord for his sacrificial death, which provided the way of redemption for us. When we practice that, that word is sometimes understood in the from the original as thanks. Paul gives thanks to God, uh, who is also the source of his joy. He was the source of his regeneration and for all whom are God's elect. Paul also shared the thankfulness to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.4 and to the saints of Colossia in 1.3 and 1 Thessalonians 1.2 is also in 2 Timothy 1.3. He used that same word of thanks. But then Paul says, for the remembrance upon every remembrance of you. When he has remembrance, we have to remember what a tremendous sovereign work that transpired and unfolded there at Philippi. Think of it. He was 
headed somewhere else, and it's all given to us in Acts 16. But the Holy Spirit directed him to Macedonia through a dream. And upon arrival at Philippi, we have the first conversion of Lydia, who was the seller of garments and well off. She was uh, praying. And Paul had gave opportunity to share the gospel. And she received the gospel of Christ. She believed. And then the slave girl that followed Paul around and bothered him. Kept saying these men are proclaiming God most high and the way of salvation. And she followed him for days. And Paul was annoyed with her. And uh, he called upon delivered her from the spirit that was plaguing her, and she believed. But the only problem was, at that point, those men that were making money off of her, was they were angry at Paul. And so they brought him before. They brought false charges against Paul. They beat him and then imprisoned him. And yet, he had joy over these converts. And while in prison, they're singing at midnight. And all of a sudden, the jailer comes to Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? Now, you have to pause here and think, well, what would bring anyone to come up to somebody and say, what would I, must I do to be saved? Has, I don't know if anyone here has experienced that. I mean, we've all perhaps had opportunity. And maybe someone has worded in just that way. I saw one hand go up, so I, that's great to see that Somebody actually said it in that way. What must I do to be saved? Evidently, in Paul's praying and his praise to God, it had enough content, or that jailer had heard and seen enough from the Apostle Paul to be able to realize that this was a man of God. This was a man who could point him to the one true God. So he fell down and asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And of course, Paul rejoiced over that conversion. And so, as we think of the early onset of the Gospel in Philippi, God unfolded this marvelous plan which Paul was able to serve him in carrying out. We have to remember also that uh, financially, this wasn't the wealthy church other than the only one that spoke of of means was Lydia, whom she opened her house to the saints and the other missionaries with Paul, Silas and Luke and Timothy. And and yet, for the most part, these church, this body of believers in Philippi were not wealthy. And yet, Paul said they provided for his needs when no other one, other local church did. They had enough concern for the apostle that they wanted to make sure that his needs were being met. And so they took up an offering, they brought whatever would meet Paul's needs, and they gave it to him, or they sent it to him. Paul recognized that, and he rejoiced in that as well. In 
the other remembrance, he goes on to thank God for these Philippian believers, but it makes us wonder how we pray for others. I mean, if you look at the depth of love that Paul has shown just in these first few verses, let alone as we continue on through this letter, we recognize that his love was so sincere and so deep that he was interceding for them. He was praying for them. He made sure he found out how they were. And he cared for them in that manner. And this caused him to rejoice, even in his circumstances. It can't help us probe us to think of how do we pray and intercede for other saints. Oftentimes we we recognize prayer answered for our own needs and on a regular basis. And yet we see the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ and are we prepared to take the time and truly intercede on their behalf and and minister in whatever way we can? This is what Paul's example example gives us as he proclaims these remembrances of the saints at Philippi. <clears throat> Paul's prayer for the Philippians was offered with uh, great appreciation and, of course, joy. As we think of this blessing, uh, later on, Paul admonishes uh, to uh, the women in there not to to get along, but he also says in chapter 2 that we're not to think of our own personal interests, but the interests are think of others as more important than ourselves. That brings us from our own self-concerns to, once again, the needs of the saints. And Paul put that emphasis. It's a sad commentary, but today, uh, many Christians don't have the joy that Paul expresses here. And again, this wasn't, uh, it was contrast with what we would consider happiness. Paul's joy was based on the understanding of God's sovereign work in us to bring us to completion, to conform us to the image of the Son and the sovereign work of God throughout our lives to work to that end. In contrast, the heart controlled by the Spirit of God uh, is focused uh, not on the unkind thoughts about another person or bitterness, but it's rather on forgiveness and love for others. We, we all have experienced hurts and disappointments, and yet we can go to the Lord and thank Him for what He has done in each of His saints and bring praise to Him on on their behalf. Paul was constantly interceding for others. And he was always offering prayer on their behalf. uh, When Paul was chained to this Roman guard, there was one historian that said they also had these footstocks. And the way it was described, it was a set of boards or cleats on the floor that they attached to the prisoner's feet. And they had spread them 
to a place where they could only move a certain amount. Now, Paul was chained to the Praetorian guards. He tells us this in the epistle. But as we think of some of the ways they tortured people in prison, we don't know. It doesn't show us in in any of the biblical history I've been able to research that Paul was put in those uh, chalks. But if he was, there's excruciating pain that emanates from that because they're placed in those and they have no way of moving. Think of having your feet tied apart, standing, and trying to get relief or having him fastened in some manner. That it would be excruciating. Paul offered prayer. He was giving praise and expression of joy. But he expressed this. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with joy for your fellowship. This is uh, an extremely important word. Uh, some some of the translations uh, may use the word, I think NASB used the word partnership. But fellowship. There are several things here. One, Paul experiences joy because the Philippians were participating in salvation. They were growing in their love and knowledge of Christ. And they were transformed sinners, just as we all are. They... Uh, they deserve punishment and yet receive pardon. And Paul says, "By their lives were changed by the gospel, and it is evident from this verse that he said from the first day and even till now. Now this book was written almost uh, ten years after Paul first brought the gospel to Philippi. And Paul is expressing their personal growth and his knowledge of that and his thanks for that. They also participated in the spread of the gospel. They were committed to the furtherance of the gospel, which is the main root, uh, reason that Paul was so excited about these Philippian believers. And third, they also participated by becoming partners in the gospel through their gifts and kindness and contributions to Paul and for others that were needing support as missionaries. The meaning of this word, koinonia, is beyond participation. It also includes the fellowship of of the community of believers. It is a spirit-produced communion with other believers, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. A person whose life is in Christ will long for the fellowship of saints. If you have traveled and you uh, go to another uh, place of worship where you, when you're during your travels, there is a kinship that you automatically have with those believers in Christ, no matter where you go. And when you have a reunion with a Christian that you haven't seen for a long period of time, you rejoice with that brother or sister. This is part of what fellowship means. Fellowship is also the fellowship of grace. This isn't a man-made organization. It's not a club. It's not founded by men. 
It is the body of Christ. And it's impossible, impossible, apart from Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, to partake of fellowship with another. God in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, brings us to the place of fellowship. And we understand the whole foundation of our place in Christ. It's a fellowship of faith. All, all of us enter into this fellowship by faith and nothing else. By God's grace, through faith, we've entered into this fellowship. It's God who opens our heart. It's God who draws us. And it's God who bestows salvation unto us. It's a fellowship of life and that of eternal life. Everyone who is a believer knows that we will at some point attain the resurrection from the dead. And that's given to us again in Philippians 3.11. All believers will share in eternal life together. We have that in fellowship. Ours is a fellowship of prayer. We're united in Christ and we intercede for others in Christ and we have other brethren and sisters praying for us in Christ. So there's a spirit of love and intercession of prayer. We have the also the spirit of perseverance and the petition for other saints. We have the fellowship of service. True fellowship will take care of others in need. Together, we work alongside other believers and doing practical things for our brothers and sisters. We see that all the time in this local body here. And that's what God wants us to do, partake of that. We have fellowship and also in our evangelism. I often have... <clears throat> Brothers come to me and talk about a individual they're ministering to, a neighbor or somebody that they're working with or another <clears throat> relative of theirs that's unsafe. And it's such a blessing to have that kinship and fellowship, to be able to intercede with them on behalf of those who don't know Christ. We have that union of fellowship together. <clears throat> Paul wanted them to also know there's a fellowship of separation. Our separation and detachment from the world. We're in the world, but not of it. God didn't want to remove us from the world. Otherwise, He would have taken us home when we were saved. He left us here to be in the world, but not of it. So we are here to bring testimony and to live out our lives to grow in the knowledge of Christ and to bring His Word, the Gospel, to the lost. The psalmist writes that they set apart as they were set apart as individuals. The Lord has set me apart from Himself. Psalm four three. God set apart the nation of Israel, and He set apart the church, the body of Christ. <clears throat> A person, excuse me, who is filled with joy of the Holy Spirit rejoices in that fellowship that we have with one another. If you're not uh, full of good memories about other saints 
then I would encourage you, as Paul has done here in this epistle, to think about those who have ministered to you throughout the years. Those that you've had an opportunity to perhaps disciple. Those who have discipled you. There's so many that we've had this fellowship with that we sometimes don't remember in prayer. So as we think of this example of Paul, uh, we have to recognize that this is an exhortation, if you would, and almost an admonition to us to be encouraged to intercede and to enjoy the fellowship of the brethren. Paul is going to continue in this uh, first part of the passage with this great text of being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a promise. What an eternal promise. And what an encouragement of the security of the believer. So often, we perhaps don't think or reflect on the great blessing of salvation, but the eternal love that the Father has set upon His children through Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, Lord, for the grace of fellowship, the grace that You bestowed upon us for salvation, and we thank You for Your servant, Your bondservant, Paul, who was set apart for you to bring us these many epistles that are for our edification, for our proof and instruction, so that we may become mature believers and grow in the knowledge of your Son. We just give you thanks, Father, and we pray that you would continue to be uh, lifted up in this service through a time of song and praise and through the proclamation of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.